0: hear many sermons on that topic, especially in contemporary Christianity, but when I was again growing up, that was a common theme, and it probably did um, slide over a little bit on the the right, the conservative side of of legalism and um, a little bit of asceticism self-denial but I think as a church as a whole in America we have let the pendulum swing the other way where we don't talk about holiness dedication consecration surrender and there's a, a, a biblical balance and we went through the book of Galatians so hopefully we as a church and you as an individual know that we are not under the law, but at the same token, being under grace means that we walk by the law of love. And Nehemiah, when he finished this incredible work, he said, I don't, I don't want the city of Jerusalem to slide back into licentiousness. I don't want us to 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 swing the pendulum back to where we no longer honor the Sabbath day. Because they had just gone through this this sifting of of where do we where do we lie when when people come from us from other cultures and other backgrounds and they want to sell stuff on the Sabbath day and and we 're not going to we 're not going to go down that road again because eventually it's going to end up where we don 't see the Sabbath as sacred as special as entering into the rest, but at the same time they wanted to enjoy the rest that God had given that it was a blessing that rest was not some kind of legalistic thing that they had to follow ritually, but it was a spiritual communion with God, and then they also wanted to to go back where the temple was the place of honor and they appointed people to bring wood and to bring the sacrifices and to prepare all the things but again it wasn't the things it wasn't the temple it wasn't the altar it was the presence of God that they wanted people to understand they also had committed themselves to to no longer exacting usury or interest on loans that they'd given to God's people. In fact, they had gone so far to say that we will give back lands that we have taken from those who are indebted. And we want to experience that that joy of the seventh year release. But let's not go back into where we just cheat one another, and take advantage of one another. The Sabbath doesn't mean anything. The temple's not significant. So they were going to dedicate these walls to God's glory. And when they dedicated the walls, symbolically, what they were saying is everything within the perimeters of this city, it belongs to God. Our cattle is not ours Our homes, our families, our children, our possessions. God, everything within these walls, it is yours. For your glory, you use it, God. And so they brought these things and they dedicated this entire city parameters to the glory of God. This was the thinking of many Christians during the 17, 18, and 1900s that our lives ought to be consecrated, our lives ought to be dedicated, surrendered to God. And the hymn writer that we sang, Take My Life and Let It Be, Frances Ridley Havergal was her name. She was the daughter of a Welsh pastor. She grew up in a very strict home, a very religious home, that had a proper balance in her home. Her life can be committed or or could be understood. And her testimony, her walk with Jesus, in really one simple sentence that she summarized her life. She said, I committed my soul to the Savior. And she says, when I did that as a child, earth and heaven seemed to be brighter from that moment on. She was an avid writer, Her poetry and hymns are prolific. Her poetry has been described as simple, sweet, and yet profound. She sang of the love of God and his way of salvation. To this end, and for this object, her whole life and her whole Being in all of her powers, she said, I want to consecrate. I want to dedicate. I don't want to be defiled by anything of the world. For my love and my passion is for Christ. She lived and spoke in every line of her poetry. Her poems were permeated with the fragrance of her passion for Jesus. Her religious views and her theology were based distinctly from others of her time. She set forth in her poetry, may be described as balanced yet biblical. So many of the hymn writers of her day and the poets of her day and the theologians of her day had a severe dogmat tenet toward the reprobate. And she stayed away from that and she found a common ground, a balance, In her writing, she showed a burden for the free, full salvation through the Redeemer's merits alone for every single sinner who would receive him into her life. She was devoted to proclaim this truth by her personal labors. Her literary efforts and her earnest interest in foreign missions transformed her, and she surrendered her life to live as a single woman, To use all of her powers, all of her energies for Jesus Christ. Paul taught this in 1 Corinthians 7. That if you can stay single and and dedicate your life and consecrate your energies and all your powers to Christ, you've done better. This is seldom taught or thought of in Christianity today. In fact, we often hear sermons on rather uh, on on how my life can be enhanced by Jesus. Her hymn, Take My Life and Let It Be, is an example of her thoughts, her prayers. Take my hands and let them move. Take my voice and let me sing. Take my silver, my gold, not a mite would I withhold. Take my will and make it thine. Take my love, my Lord, I pour at Thy feet, its treasure store. Take myself, and I will be ever only all for thee. Being dedicated to the Lord is not a popular theme, and yet it is a biblical theme. The contemporary church would rather hear on how the Lord came to satisfy our wants. When Nehemiah symbolically dedicated the walls of Jerusalem, he was signifying that the city, Its inhabitants and all of its possessions belong to the Lord, and they were to be used for his glory alone. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 23, Paul wrote this. He said, all things, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify Let no one seek his own, but every one the well-being of another. Paul put forth three simple principles of dedication in that verse. The first one, I need to ask myself, is what I am doing helpful? The word helpful is a compound word in the original language. The prefix is with, and the second part of that verb means to carry or to bring. So when I'm asking myself, is what I'm doing helpful? I need to ask myself, am I encouraging and am I bringing others along with me into wisdom and maturity and into Christ's affection, grace, and love? The next thing I need to ask Is it edifying? And it comes from our English word edifice, which means a building. So literally it means to build up a structure. But when it's used figuratively, the word means am I promoting growth in Christian virtue? Am I bringing people other along? Am I promoting Christian virtue? That's what I need to ask myself. And am I seeking my self-interest or am I seeking the betterment of others? Now, Paul ended that whole segment in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 by this verse that many of you know. And whatever you do, whether you eat or whether you drink, do all to the glory of God. That's speaking of dedication, isn't it? That's surrender. Dedication of the walls of Jerusalem represented everything within its city. It also includes the wills and the minds of its residents that they were going to be set apart for the consecration of God's glory. Now, I didn't have a stand to read today because I'm not going to read much of a section. I'm going to take a verse at a time, and so open your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 12, and we're just going to look at verse 27 for right now. And we're going to see what this dedication looked like and what application we can make for our lives. So, in Nehemiah chapter 12 and verse 27, Nehemiah 12, 27. Now, at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, so that's our time frame, that's what we're looking at here. This is giving the specifics of when this happened. What did they do? Here's our main clause. They sought out the Levites. So when they were getting ready to dedicate at that time, what did they do? They sought out the Levites. They sought them out in all their places. And what would they do? To bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness both with thanksgiving and with singing, with cymbals and stringed instruments and harps. The word dedication is the word that many of you know. It's the word Hanukkah. That's what they were doing. They were celebrating. And Hanukkah, the, the, what we know of Hanukkah, it comes on December um, the 21st. And the, 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 what they did in, in our understanding of Hanukkah was they were dedicating the temple back to the Lord. The the Greeks had um, desecrated the temple. They had uh, set up a altar to Zeus. Um, Antiochus Epiphanes had sacrificed a pig on the altar, and John Hyrcanus and the group that followed him, the Maccabeans and their revolt came in and they cleansed and they dedicated with lights, they lit the menorahs and, and, and that's what that's what our understanding of Hanukkah, but Hanukkah means anything that is devoted after it has been cleansed, after it has been redeemed out of a defiled state. And you think about the city of Jerusalem, it had been trodden underfoot by Gentiles. Nebuchadnezzar the Babylonian king who praised himself, who worshipped gods of gold and gods of silver, and his grandson Belshazzar, who worshipped the gods of gold and silver, had desecrated this land, and now they were reclaiming it as belonging to God. That's what Nehemiah is doing in this passage. For hundreds of years now, this city has been under the foot of Gentiles, and now it's in the hands of God's people for God's purposes alone. And so the first thing he does, and the first thing that you and I ought to do when we are dedicating ourselves to God, we need to ask ourselves how would God want us to do this? You remember those little bracelets that people would wear? It was WWJD, what would Jesus do? You know, that's not a bad question to ask. It's a good question to ask. And that's what they were asking. How, God, should we go about doing this dedication? And the first thing that they wanted to do, they wanted to seek out the priest. So why were the priests important in dedicating a temple or t- dedicating anything that belonged to God. Well, Numbers chapter 8, we have a whole list of all the things that, uh, that are indicative of the Levites. The Levites are an offering. He brought, Moses brought the Levites and lifted them up as a, remember the old King James, a heave offering. <laughs> Literally means An offering that was lifted up. They brought the Levites because they were the ones who were lifted up, consecrated and dedicated to God. The entire congregation, then in Numbers chapter 8, was instructed to lay hands on the Levites. So the Levites symbolically represented the entire nation here. Everyone was submitted and surrendered to this. In Deuteronomy chapter 18 and verse 1, we are told that the Levites received no inheritance. You think about us as believers. Where is our inheritance, our true inheritance? You and I have been begotten again unto a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is incorruptible, undefiled, fades not away, reserved in heaven for you. You and I are priests unto God. We are a holy priesthood. We are a holy nation that we ought to offer up sacrifices and praise to God. This is you and I. We are priests to God. We belong to God. We are lifted up to God. They brought... Also, the Levites, because the Levites represented the firstborn. Remember during Passover, the death angel went through the camp of Israel. And the firstborn were spared. From that time on, the firstborn belonged to God. But God took the Levites instead of taking the firstborn. He said, these are mine. They belong to me. We are the first fruits of God's creation, we're told in the book of James. Why bring the Levites? The Levites were the ones who led God's way into the promised land. Remember when Joshua crossed over the river? It was the Levites who carried the ark. They were instructed to stand a quarter mile behind the ark and behind the Levites. And then Joshua makes this statement, Because you have never gone this way before. So when you and I dedicate ourselves to the Lord, we want to make sure that we are living our lives in accordance with God's word and God's plan. What were they to do? They were to worship and to praise God for his faithfulness. They brought them to Jerusalem to dedicate with gladness and with thanksgiving. So dedication to God, a part of that is is birthed out of thanksgiving. We dedicate ourselves to Christ and to his kingdom out of a heart of gratitude. Christ laid down his life for us. First John, we ought to lay down our lives for one another out of gratitude. Now, what did they have to be grateful for? God had provided Nehemiah with a position of influence he was the king's cupbearer how else would they get back to their city unless God providentially in God's sovereign plan placed a man as the cupbearer to the most powerful man in the entire world the Persian Empire Artaxerxes cupbearer was the trusted Nehemiah God we thank you that you have not left us forsaken. But God, you are faithful to your promises. God, you promised Abraham. Abraham, look at this land. Abraham was promised this land belongs to you. Well, how was God going to bring that promise to fruition under the Persian Empire when they had been dispersed and scattered? God brought Nehemiah at the proper place at the proper time. Thanksgiving. God gave Nehemiah all the information that he needed to have to place a burden on his heart to go back and rebuild the walls. And they thanked God for that. God had opened the door when Artaxerxes looked at Nehemiah and said, Nehemiah, why are you so sad? This is nothing other than sadness of continence. And Nehemiah prayed to the God of Heaven before he gave an answer. And he says, "Why should my heart not be sad when the city of my father's sepulcher lies in ruins?" And he says, "Nehemiah, what do you want?" He gave him a time. Nehemiah gave him Artaxerxes gave him a letter to take to Asaph. He says, "Whatever you need." And then Nehemiah was granted. A military escort to go back to his land. So they're dedicating this wall with thanksgiving, remembering all that God had done for them. When you and I dedicate ourselves to the Lord, we need to remember all that our God has done for us. Oh Lord, God forbid that I should live for myself when my king... My God became an infant child, suffered, persecuted, hung on a cross. He did that for you and I. So when we devote ourselves to the Lord, we do it out of a heart of thanksgiving. Everything that we have really belongs to the Lord, doesn't it? What know you not? That your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own. You have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God with your spirit and your body, which are God's. Dedication also necessitates purity. Look at verse 30 with me. Nehemiah 12, verse 30. So I brought the leaders of Judah, I'm sorry, I'm in verse 31, verse 30, then the priests, so they they sought these priests, what was next? Then the priest, notice it's a reciprocal pronoun at the end of this, the priest purified themselves, comma, and purified the people, the gates and the walls, So dedication, it necessitates a purification. Before ministering, the priests were instructed to wash in a laver. When they would come into the holy court, there was a bronze laver. And before they could do any ministry, they had to symbolically purify and wash their hands, showing that they had been cleansed by God's promises. When... Aaron was dedicated as a priest and his sons. They were instructed to wash and to bathe before they could go into ministry. Once cleansed, then the priests were able to minister to others. You think about the spiritual implications of that. How in the world can you and I be used in other people's life if God first doesn't do a work in us. I want you to hold your place right there and I want you to turn over to the book of Hebrews and I want to show you in the New Testament what this cleansing looks like. We're not purified by sacrifices and we're not purified by water in the New Testament and they weren't purified that way in the Old Testament either just you know, to make sure that, that I say that. Those were merely symbolic, the time present showing that the eternal sacrifice hadn't yet been given. But in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 22, I want to bring our attention to this passage. It starts out with the word therefore, and we're going to look at how that conjunction is used The main verb of this sentence its a long sentence in Greek. The main clause is found in verse 22 where it says, Let us draw near. That is the main clause of this entire paragraph. One sentence in the Greek language, but the main clause is verse 22. Let us draw near. And so the word therefore really is... Bringing out the reason why we can draw near. So it starts out, therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest. This is talking about a priest now, and he's applying it to you and I as New Testament priests. We have been purified by the blood of Jesus. Notice the word by, by a new and living way. And then he describes the living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil. The priest got into the presence of God by going through the veil. How do you and I get into the very presence of a holy God? It's through the body, through the flesh of Jesus. That's what it says here. That is his flesh. And having... A priest over the house of God, and here's our main clause, let us draw near. Now how do we draw near? We draw near with a true heart, a genuine heart, a heart without duplicity, a sincere heart. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I am to draw near to God with a true, a genuine, a sincere, unhypocritical heart. And I can do that. We've got a participle telling how I can do it. In full assurance of faith. Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So first of all, if I'm going to be used... I come to Jesus Christ. I come through His sacrifice alone. I come by His blood alone. I come through faith in what He has done. I come by a new and living way. And why am I able to do that? I'm able to do that and you are able to do that this morning because your conscience has been purified. Isn't that wonderful to know? I remember, as a child, having a guilty conscience. About half my, to- half my life as <laughs> growing up as a kid. Because I was a troublemaker. I was a rascal. I got into trouble all the time. And I seemed to always get caught. Praise God. But I was always walking around feeling guilty for something, whether I did it or not. But I remember one time, at a camp, and I'd snuck into this other boy's room and I'd taken a personal garment of his and I did something with it that was rather disgusting and wasn't too proud of it. (laughs) And at the end of the camp, I mean, I covered it all over. I covered my tracks. Nobody knew what I was up to. At the end of the week, I was called down in front of the entire camp and I was given a blue ribbon for the best behavior. (laughs) And all the other kids went to the commissary And they were playing their games, and they were, you know, using their their nickels and their dimes, buying up, it was the very last night, and buying their sweets, and I went back to my cabin with such a heavy and guilty conscience. I remember they were laying in the bunk, and I just took that ribbon, I tore it to pieces, I didn't even want to look at it. The counselor, he knew what I had done, and he gave me that award anyway, and he found me and walked back to the cabin. And I remember him explaining grace to me. That I could have a clear conscience. That I could be forgiven. And I went down there and I enjoyed the time with the other kids. But before I could do that, I had to have my conscience cleansed. And before you and I can be effective... Ministers to other people, the priest purified himself first, and then he purified the others, and then he purified the gates and the walls. Before you and I can surrender things to God, first of all, God wants us to be surrendered and committed and purified by him. I want you to turn over now to Second Timothy chapter 2. Just a few books back, 2 Timothy chapter 2, And we see a beautiful passage exhorting us to purify ourselves so that we might be used as a vessel for God's glory. 2 Timothy 2.20 But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver... But also of wood and clay, some for honor or honorable uses, and some for dishonorable uses. Look at verse 21. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these, literally, or from the latter, He will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Flee also youthful lusts, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. So here's what Paul instructs us. We are to purify ourselves. We can be used by God and we will be useful... But the responsibility is ours. God is sovereign. God does the cleansing. And here's a balance. The work has been completely finished. But you and I are still responsible to come before the Lord and ask for his forgiveness and ask for his washing and cleansing. When we do this, verse 21 states... That if we will do this, therefore, if anyone has cleansed themselves from the ladder. So, what is the ladder? Those other vessels. That's what we're to clear, cleanse ourselves. That's what I'm to purify. So, I have got to take the initiative. And, and when he's talking about those other vessels, he's talking about other people. He's using vessels here metaphorically for people. There are certain people that God will use, there are certain people that God says, I cannot use that person. Now, God can use all of us. That's the good news. But God is pure. God is holy. And God will not use something that is defiled. And if I will take the initiative, God will then cleanse me. And God will say, you are now a vessel. So I've got to avoid, and this is what Paul was teaching, we've got to avoid people who teach and live contrary to sound doctrine. If I will avoid those things, behavior that is contrary to sound doctrine and people who espouse it, and if I will avoid doctrine that is contrary to biblical teaching, God will then use us. The result is that we will be set apart for noble purposes. That is done by two things. I've got to flee on the one hand, But it's not just enough to flee the things that are wrong. I've got to actively pursue the things that God wants us to pursue. And what are those? Well, Paul lists them for us, doesn't he? We don't have time to expound on them, but we'll just read them again. Righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Those are the things that I'm to pursue. Dedication of the wall was its entirety. Let's just go back over to the book of Nehemiah now as we close this teaching this morning. We're going to look at two verses to show you that the dedication was as in its entirety. Verse 31. So I brought the leaders of Judah up on the wall and I appointed two large thanksgiving choirs. One went to the right hand of the wall toward the refuge gate. Now we're not going to read the rest of that, but we're going to jump down to verse 38. And the other thanksgiving choir went the opposite way and I was behind them with half of the people on the wall going part, part past the tower of the ovens as far as the broad wall I want to just look at the conclusion of this dedication verse 47 in the days of Zerubbabel And in the days of Nehemiah, all Israel gave the portion of the singers and the gatekeepers a portion for each day. They also consecrated the holy things for the Levites, and the Levites consecrated them for the children of Aaron. That's not the verse that I was looking for. (laughs) I'm sorry. Verse 43. Verse 43. Also that day they offered great sacrifices and rejoiced. For God had made them rejoice with great joy. the women and the children also rejoiced, so that the joy of Jerusalem was a herd afar off. The entire city, the entire population, was dedicated to the Lord. They encompassed both directions. And I want to I just finish with this. All means all. The beautiful old hymn I surrender all means our time, our talents, our talents, our resources as a priest. You and I as New Testament priests, we belong to God. We have been sprinkled with pure water. Our consciences have been cleansed. We are to separate ourselves from what defiles and we are pursuing Actively, the things that make us useful righteousness, peace, love, and those things. When we are separated from what defiles, then God can use us. As Levites, they were a type of a first fruit. The first fruits were the increase that God had given, whether a child, That child, the first fruits of the womb, that child belonged to God and it was to be redeemed. The Levites represented that. all, All the fruits and the crops of the field and all the livestock, the first fruits, were then dedicated and devoted to God in worship. And it's interesting, the Bible in the New Testament calls you and I the first fruits of God's creation. So yes, there is a dedication that belongs to God. It goes like this in James chapter 1, verse 17 and 18. It tells us that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above that comes down from the Father of lights. With him there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. And then the rest of that verse goes on like this. Of his own will he has begotten us it is god's will it is god's prerogative it is god's desire to bring you and i to spiritual life every good gift every perfect gift is from above it comes down from this father of lights and this light there's no shadow there's no varying degree god is the same yesterday today and forever and then he goes on to say it was God's will, this eternal God who never changes, who brings every good and perfect gift to make us alive. And how did God do it? That verse goes on. He's begotten us again by the word of truth. God takes his holy word, makes us alive in Christ Jesus, and then the purpose clause that we might be a kind a type, a representative of the first fruits of all of God's creation. So out of everything that God's created, he says, my children, they are the ones who are devoted and dedicated to me. So when we dedicate ourselves to the Lord, first of all, I've got to ask myself, am I doing it God's way? When I dedicate myself to the Lord, am I living a purified and sanctified life? Am I then purifying and being a ministry minister to other people? And God, do you have the entirety of who I am, my thoughts, my will, my silver, my gold. God, may you have all of it. Another hymn that Francis... Ridley Abigail wrote, is a searching, haunting hymn about what Jesus Christ has done for you and I. And then it asks the question of us, what have we dedicated to him? I gave my life for thee, my precious blood I shed, that thou might ransom be And raised up from the dead. I gave, I gave my life for thee. What hast thou given for me? I gave, I gave my life for thee. What hast thou given for me? My Father's house of light, my glory encircled throne, I left for earthly night, for wanderings sad and alone. I left, I left it all for thee, hast thou left aught for me? I left, I left it all for thee, hast thou left aught for me? Father, as we close this morning with this beautiful old hymn, God, I pray that as we ponder these questions, Lord, that, God, that we could say, yes, Lord, I have left things for you, God. I have given things for you. God, I am bearing the cross for you. God, I am bringing you my life as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand